You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Hey, everybody. I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to this week's Outstanding Life Podcast, and big hello to all my friends on Dirt Road Radio. Today, we have Jeff Striegel on the phone. What is going on, Jeff? How are you? I'm good, Johnny. How are you? Absolutely. And Happy New Year. I know, right? Hey, wait, when is it the right time to stop saying Happy New Year to somebody? Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I guess- Because uh, I'm still saying it. I know, so am I. <laughs> well, Happy and, New Year. Yeah, and hopefully everybody's having a good start to the 2023 year. It's, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. Oh, man, man. I, I And I really can't thank you enough for taking a little bit of time and hanging out with us. But those of you that don't know Jeff Striegel, he is the play-by-play announcer, or one of them, for MRN Network uh, for NASCAR. And uh, Jeff, you've been doing this a long time. I got to ask, how did you get started? <laughs> well, it was a, a situation, Johnny, where I was racing myself and loving every minute of it right up until we started to grow the family and travel got to get in the way and expenses were building. So I decided, you know what, I want to stay in the sport. So I became a PA announcer. From that, we started doing local short track radio. And from that, we I sent in a audition tape. To the Motor Racing Network, and believe it or not, apparently they liked what I did, and I've been with them now. I think this is going to be year 25 or 26 for me as we get ready to go in L.A. and then on to Daytona. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, did you ever think in a million years that you would be involved no. in broadcasting? No, no not at all. Um, you know, I always have liked it. I, I've always, and there's so many that are listening to us right now that have a story, you know, mine is the Detroit Tigers, you know, growing up in the seventies and listening to radio, listening to the Indy 500 before they broadcast the 500 live on TV, you'd have to, you know, grab your transistor radio. And my dad did that. And we would sit in the backyard and we would listen to the Indy 500. And I was just captivated at that time and loved it love radio, but I never in a million years, like you said, John, did I think that I would be on this end of the microphone and hopefully delivering that same thing to listeners around the country. Not around the country, Jeff. I was just thinking about this last night, thinking about our interview. And I mean, you're all over the world. What is that like for you when you have military men and women come home from serving our country, going to a racetrack and saying, Jeff, I listen to you every Sunday. Thank you so much for what you do for us. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're right. And, and I'll tell you what, there's only one word that I could probably come up with, and that's proud. Proud to be a part of it. Prou- uh, proud to be a small little piece. And if, if I'm that conduit between something that, like you said, the military around the world, they're passionate about auto racing. And if they're tuned in wherever they may be just to listen to an event, you know, let's just say it's the Daytona 500. You take a lot of pride in what you do. You try to do it to the very best of your ability and, and, and just be thankful for the opportunity that you've been given. I didn't know this, that, that you were a race car driver as well. Did you win a lot? <laughs> I don't know. Define a lot. You know, we, <laughs> we, we won, uh, you know, we won from time to time for sure. Uh, we had a, a great you know, a little thing going there. I absolutely love it. You know, there's, there's no doubt that if I could still drive today, I probably would, you know, at, at my local short track level, I was never destined to be, you know, Denny Hamlin or Kyle Bush <laughs> or Kevin Harvick, but you know, in my own little world, you know, we, we absolutely loved it and we loved loading up the car and heading out to Sandusky, Ohio, or down and racing in Indiana or Ohio or here in the state of Michigan. So 
Yeah, I, I always loved it, Johnny. I just wish I could have kept doing it. But it, at the same time, we all get the fact that things happen for a reason. And if I would have stayed racing maybe even a year longer than I did, my whole path, my whole future at that point would have been completely different than what it is today. Yeah, we are so happy that you quit driving and you start talking. <laughs> Jeff, you know, I, I always ask the drivers when I'm interviewing them, do they remember their first time winning as a race car driver? Do you remember your first time winning? And was it one of those great, big, huge cardboard checks? <laughs> it wasn't a cardboard check. I don't even know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know that we got paid more than five hundred dollars for winning. But I absolutely remember, and it, it's a bit of a cool story. Now I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, so. An hour to my east is Lansing, and there's a racetrack there. Uh, and that was would have been my third year of racing. Now, we were racing on Indianapolis 500 evening. As we were driving to the track, that was the Danny Sullivan spin and win Indy 500. So it was 1985. And it's certainly a race and a time and a day that I'll never forget. That was the first ever win. And it came the same year that Danny Sullivan spun and won at Indy. Oh, how cool is that? Hey, do you remember your first time? This question always comes up to me uh, about speaking. And I want to ask you, do you remember your first time broadcasting live? Well, if you're talking about with the Motor Racing Network... Yes, that was Texas, and they brought me in to do my first event, and it was a truck series event at the Texas Motor Speedway. I was the turn four announcer sitting on top of the sweeps, and I know you've been to Texas, and you know how high <laughs> that is if you're sitting on top of the sweeps, and I sat up there all by myself nervous, afraid to, to even crack the mic and speak, but you also knew you had to. You know what that's like, John. Right, yeah. And I, I will tell you that they were trucks that were racing. I called them cars all night long. Every time we went to a commercial, uh, it might have been Mike Bagley, and I think a lot of people that follow the Motor Racing Network, they know the name Mike Bagley. Mike would come on and go, Jeff, those are trucks, not cars. Those are trucks, bud. And, you know, stand by 10 seconds. Mics are hot. You know, here they come racing down the back straight away. I'd pick them up and I'd say so-and-so's got a three-car length lead. And we'd go to a commercial break. And again, Mike would pop in and go, Jeff. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just interrupt him at that point. Yes, Mike, I know. I know. They're trucks, not cars. And I'm thinking this is going to be my last broadcast. But fortunately, they hung with me and... Um, Good things happened after that. Well, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Were you or are you scared of heights? Because when you were in the turns, I mean, I've seen, you know, Bagley and and, and Dave Moody, <laughs> yeah. and they're in, in like scissor lifts sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and sometimes uh, they're high up. Were you ever you know, scared of heights? I am. Um, <laughs> but here's what here's what's interesting. I guess it is in certain situations. Like, I know you've been across the Mackinac Bridge. Yep. I hate going across the Mackinac Bridge. My wife laughs at me every time we do it because I can't ride. I have to drive because I'm afraid, you know, when she drives going over the Mackinac Bridge, I can't stand it. So I do it. But I will tell you that I look straight at my hood. I, I'm 10 and 2. I'm sweating. <laughs> but I don't mind flying. Uh, I hate going up roller coasters, but I don't mind once we've you know reached the peak and now we start the roller coaster deal. So I can't go to the top of um, the stratosphere in Las Vegas. I've tried it. Uh, it didn't work out very well for me. Yeah, but you I, know, I, I, I've had a couple of drivers ask me and, and even wanted to pay to watch me go off the stratosphere. Yeah. And I'm absolutely not. You know, I got sick that night. You know what I mean? Yes, <laughs> I do. So, but I, I will tell you this. I do love um, straddling billboards. You know, if I go back in the day and, and think of uh, one of the first ones that I ever did. And again, you're familiar with Auto Club out in California. Yeah. 
when you stand on the billboard at the end of the back straightaway, you are, I don't know, 150 <laughs> feet in the air. You're standing on a little scaffolding. Uh, and then you've got a billboard that's about two feet in front of you and it's blowing in the wind and it's, you know, rocking back and forth. And you're just trying to get into a situation where you feel comfortable. You never do, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. And as you have traveled, uh, for so many years and experienced the things that I'm talking about, you, you, you get the feel, you know, you know, exactly where. I'm at and what I'm talking about because you've been there before. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I'm just laughing because I just think of the bees. Like, I cannot stand bees and wasps. <laughs> but they seem to find me every time I do an interview. Oh, yeah. You know. They're they're on every billboard around <laughs> the country. You get up. You get into position. You think you're in good shape. And then you put your hand down and you realize that they've been in the, the pipes that, that make the scaffolding and <laughs> – Next thing you know, they're swarming you and you're, you're getting ready to call a race. It's always a good time. You always have good stories. You know, I, I'm so glad that you said you were afraid of heights because you did something a while back and you were literally hanging off the side of a building for charity in Charlotte, mm-hmm. North Carolina. It was called Over the Edge. What was that like for you? I, I mean, I know you'll do just about anything for charity. Mm-hmm. But literally, if you go back to your Instagram, those of you listening right now, go back to Jeff's Instagram and see the picture of him literally hanging off the side of a building. What was that like for you? Scary. (laughs) Um, I do enjoy facing my fears. I, I really, truly do. And when that opportunity came up, John, I originally had said no. And I thought, you know, if I do something, I'm going to do it to the absolute best of my ability. So I thought, you know what, if I can raise money by doing this, then I'm going to do it. And so I put a post down on Facebook and just simply said, I'm raising money. If you guys support me, I'll do it. And I think, you know, it was three, four thousand dollars you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks at a time that was coming in. And it's like, okay, well, I can't back out now. So (laughs) the gal that, you know, I think, you know, Nicole, Yeah. uh, she handles all at that time, handled all of our travel for the motor racing network. And she said, you will do this with me. And Nicole and I have been friends for so many years. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. Got up on the top of that thing. They got me all strapped in and, and it was hard for me to go over the edge. But once I did it again, it was one of those things is once you take that first or two or three rappel down, you realize that you're safe, you know, I guess as safe as you're going to be. And if you just relax and enjoy the moment, it's going to be pretty cool. By the time I got to the bottom, I will tell you this, by the time I got to the bottom, I wanted to turn around and go back up and do it again because there was so much to see and so much to feel and experience. And I absolutely loved it. Now, if you ask me, would I do it again? I think the answer would be yes, but I would be just as petrified (laughs) doing it again (laughs) as what I was at that moment. Jeff, you, you get to meet so many cool people and you've been doing this for 25, 26 years. Has there ever been a time that you got starstruck, somebody, you know, walks in the booth and you're like, oh, oh, oh my God, I, I can't believe that this is blah, blah, blah. Like, this is amazing. I, uh, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and I'm not somebody who is starstruck and I don't know why I'm not. That's please know that that's not, you know, arrogance or anything like that. It's just, I, I think it, it comes from respect I I respect uh, whether it be a a musician, whether it be a driver, whether it be a politician, Um, you know, it never really mattered to me. I was always just proud of the fact that I was in a position where I had the opportunity to meet the individual. Uh, I think I was probably more starstruck, and this may make you laugh a little bit, to meet Tony Stewart. Um, (laughs) I've met a lot of really wonderful, influential people over my career, which I'm grateful for. But I just remember the first time that I met Tony Stewart 
uh, because he was somebody that I absolutely love, uh, loved and still do today. And I always wanted to meet him. I just wanted to find out, you know, the thing, I'm going to take it back for a second. And you know this as well as anybody. People think they know an individual based on what they see on TV or hear on the radio. Yep. That's really not fair to the individual because, you know, when, when Kyle Bush crashes and we stick a microphone in his face immediately after he gets out of the car, he may not say the things or do the things that we would expect him to do, but we don't take into consideration uh, the timing that took place around, you know, that interview. So, you know, you, you really have to try to get to know individuals before you can form an opinion. And I think sometimes we all fail in that regard. And, you know, Tony has a tremendous reputation, right? Some people love him, some people hate him. And I just knew that when I met him, I wasn't sure what I was going to (laughs) see and experience. The man is a, a very impressive individual and one that I admire greatly, but I can also tell you this, there's not many people that I don't admire greatly because so many people that, again, that we think we know, we really don't until we have the opportunity to truly sit down with them, even if it's for five minutes, and see just a little different side to them than what comes across on, say, TV or radio. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Tony's, you know, amazing. Interviewed him for years. And actually the last couple of years at the PRI show had the pleasure of interviewing him again. Just a wonderful person. Yeah. Jeff, when I kind of put this out there that I was going to have you on the show, this question came in on social media and I could not wait to ask you. So buckle Mm. up, buddy. All right, I'm ready. One of the biggest questions and number one question for drivers is how do you go to the bathroom when you're in the car for three or four hours, this person wants to know when you're calling a race, sometimes you're up there for three, four hours. What do you men and women do when you have to go to the bathroom? The first thing you do as a young announcer <laughs> is determine how far you are from either a porta john, a big private tree, um, you know, some sort of, of privacy. You have to, and you, again, I always keep saying this and hopefully the listeners, listeners realize uh, all the things that you have done in your career. You've been there, you've seen it, you've done it. So, you know, when I say this to you, uh, you get it. Um, (laughs) You know, we're in the middle of the Daytona 500. You are 75 feet up off the ground. You've got to climb down off the scaffolding. You may have a 50 yard run in order to get to the first portage on. And Hey, if you're in the middle of the Daytona 500, you, all you're doing is waiting for that opportunity where you may have some downtime for 10 minutes and you run and you take advantage of the time that's given. Um, it's either that, or I guess you just kind of look around and you see who can see or who can't see there. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that, but I will tell you that there are many, many, Funny stories that probably should never be aired. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, fans always, you know, especially in the mornings, Sunday mornings, you know, they're like, hey, you know, we're cooking. We got eggs. We got this. And, and I never eat before my interviews because I know that if something doesn't sit right, I can't yeah. just leave. Right. right. So, you know, sometimes I don't even eat until after I'm done. You know, what's the what, one of the coolest things that you've got to do because of who you are and what you do for a living? Mm, man, I, I, I have been blessed. I, I don't even know where I would start with that. Have, um, have you been up in one of the um, uh, uh, jets? I did not. Alex Hayden, uh, as you know, he did it. He flew with the Thunderbirds. Uh, he loved it. He regretted it. But yet he'd do it again, I'm sure. And regretted it, meaning that, you know, that that airplane ride that he took, that jet fighter ride that he took, wiped him out. (laughs) Uh, You know, I remember him telling the story and I I wish it was me that could tell it firsthand because I just love the angels and the Thunderbirds and would probably do about anything to ride with them. Um, I just haven't had that opportunity to do so. But, you know, whether it's um, events that you've been invited to, 
you know, I don't know, you remember the Jimmy Jam back in the day when Jimmy Johnson used to throw a party uh, and it was, you know, pretty much a VIP party. He'd bring a band in and next thing you know, you're on the in- invite list. And, and I don't even know where to start with that question. Um, I, I will tell you this. We, we do something that might surprise people. Uh, and again, Johnny, you know Alex Hayden, and Alex yep. is my co-anchor for the Motor Racing Network. We travel t- just about 28 uh, weekends a year. You travel more than we do, believe it or not. Um, and the thing that we try to do is when we go to a venue or to a city, a new state, not even a new one, just whenever we go anywhere, we always have in our in our uh, agenda to do something that we didn't do. So as an example, again, like you, you're going to be heading out to the L.A. Coliseum here in a couple of weeks. So will we. And we will explore L.A. Um, probably different than most people would do. We will go down. And some people don't always understand this, but we will actually go to Skid Row. We have been to Skid Row every single time that we have gone to L.A. for any reason. We will go there. We will go to the top of the Hollywood Hills, you know, look around at million-dollar homes. We'll head to the beach. We will go down to Sunset Strip and go to some of the iconic bars and restaurants where, you know, Van Halen and Motley Crue and, and all of those great rock and roll bands got their start. And some people might say, yeah, you know, I've done that. But we will do that there. We will do that in Daytona. We will do that in Phoenix. You know, and we're always trying to create a new memory every time we go on the road. And I can tell you that uh, over the years, we have been and seen a lot of very, very cool, very unique things. That is awesome. I know I do the same thing. I love just hearing people's stories across the country. And sometimes I'll just find somebody that's just sitting there asking for money. And I'll just be like, here's 20 bucks. I want 15 minutes of your time. Just tell me your story. And I'll sit there with them. You know, it's just, it's just kind of cool to, to, um, to hear people's stories across the country. And we have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, what's what's interesting is when I bring up Skid Row, people will oftentimes roll their eyes, wonder why, why would you go there? What are you doing? You know, are you doing this or doing that? And it's like you, you don't get it. You know, you, everybody's a different individual. They do things for different reasons. You know, one of the things that that Alex and I, when we do something like that, number one, we're, we're proud to be where we are in our life. And, and we know that not everybody has opportunity to accomplish the things that they want to do. And I think when we go there, we, we just drive through, uh, we don't say anything, we don't do anything. We just drive through. And I think the reason that we do it, John, is it grounds us. 100%. You look and you realize what struggles so many people in this country have. Um, and if nobody has been there and they don't know what we're talking about, it's an eye-opening, grounding experience when you see the amount of people that, that don't live every day like you and I and the listeners that are joining us on this podcast are able to do. Um, you know, and then we turn around and we, you know, we can literally uh, drive from there all the way to the top of the Hollywood Hills. We can be there in 45 minutes. <laughs> So you go from Skid Row to a $50 million house sitting on the top of the Hollywood Hills and you just kind of stop somewhere in between. And we've done this, you know, and you just stop and you realize, you know, just how different people are and why did this individual make it to the point that they did and why did this individual not be able to accomplish probably the goals that he or uh, she set out for. That's awesome. So getting back to Alex and him in the, in the fighter jet, I just have to ask, did he throw up? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> he did. He, he actually went up in the morning and then he had to come back and broadcast. I don't remember now what day it was, yeah. you know, whether we were coming back to do the Thursday night duel or the Friday night truck race. I don't remember, but he went up. And when he walked back into the booth, we were already there. We're all ready to go. He comes walking in the booth and I'm telling you what, you know, you talk about white as a ghost, ready to throw up again. (laughs) 
um, just head down dragon. And he looked at me and I just kind of started laughing and I'm like, so, uh, how was it? <laughs> you know, and he kind of gives me a thumbs up and I could just see it in his face. And I think it was our producer, Ryan Horn, that immediately said, did you throw up? And he just nodded his head like, yeah, I did. And he sat down and he was completely wiped out until the next day. And I think we can all, all get it. Um, I, I, again, I would absolutely kill for the experience. But um, after seeing him on that day, it did temper it just a little bit. <laughs> Who were some of your role models when you got into broadcasting? Oh, man, um, that's easy, really, because Barney Hall was there. Um, you know, Barney Hall is is the legend, right? He's, yep. he's He's what everybody strived to be. He was the calm, educated, A to B individual who had no problem in helping to coach and mentor you into what, you know, if you're going to broadcast at that level, then there were certain things you needed to know. And when I first started to broadcast, if I made a mistake, any kind of mistake, you know, even if it was a matter of saying, you know, here comes Kevin Harvick, check that. That's actually Joey Logano, just a simple slip of the tongue. I would get angry. I would get so mad and there were times when Barney and all Barney Hall and I would be working together in the booth. Maybe it was qualifying back then. It was long before I ever went to the booth. And I'd take my headset off and I'd, you know, stomp around. And he looked at me and he said, boy, and that's how he always started most of his conversations with boy. Let me tell you, if you're going to act like this every single time you make a mistake, you might as well punch out and go on and do something different because we all make mistakes. And the sooner you're able to let those things go and pick up and keep digging, the better off you're going to be. But if you're going to act like this, every time you make a mistake, you're in the wrong business. And, you know, that's just something I've always remembered. Uh, Barney Hall, uh, Eli Gold, Alan Bestwick, Joe Moore. Uh, Joe was the guy who auditioned me back in 1996 at Daytona. <laughs> and I never in my wildest imagination, because I grew up listening to these guys, right? you know, I'm auditioning with Joe Moore. Joe and I are best of friends. I never ever would have believed that Joe Moore, uh, Alan Bestwick, Barney, Eli, those guys that, that I grew up listening to would become close personal friends. When you talk about who did you meet, you know, back when you when you asked me that, that's probably what I should have said, because the, not only were they inspirations, uh, coaches and mentors, but they've all become very close friends. Obviously, we lost Barney, you know, years right. ago, but, um, you know, those people highly influential in my life. Jeff, do you still practice? If so, how often do you still practice? Well, that's, if you ask my wife, um, she'll flat out tell you, I practice way too often because <laughs> I will, I will be sitting on the couch and now I'm not practicing. I'm just having fun. Right. No, I, but, I get it, but I, it doesn't really matter what's on TV. Uh, and I'm, I just did it. And I don't know if it was the football game. I guess it was the Michigan state basketball game. They were playing Wisconsin the other night. And I'm calling it as though I'm, you know, I'm on either on radio <laughs> or on TV. And she will reach over, grab the, the remote, mute it, turn, look at me and just go, shut up. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. So, you know, when practice is, is an interesting, I've never been asked that. I'm standing here at the Berlin Raceway. If I'm standing here and there's nothing going on and there's a great super late model race going on, do I find myself periodically saying, you know, Evan Shotko to the lead, but here comes Brian Campbell back to the outside. Right now, Brian Tillam is looking on running third. Okay, those are not names that anybody's going to recognize unless they're from, you know, Grand Rapids. Yeah. But I will do that. And, and like I said, my wife will probably tell you that I do it far too often. And uh, when I do it out loud, 
Apparently, it's not something she enjoys. <laughs> I can't tell you how. And the reason why I asked you that is because just yesterday, I was on my way out to Cabela's, and it's about a 30, 35-minute drive. And I love just like reading the signs and making it sound interesting. Uh-huh. So whatever I see, I turn it into a story. So I was like, yeah. this is a great question for Jeff, because if I'm doing it, I wonder if these guys do the same thing. <laughs> I do it. I do it. I'm not going to lie. And, and, you know, the problem is you do it, it, it because that's such a unique question. It's like, I don't really know how often I do it. I probably do it way too <laughs> much, at least, like I said, according to my wife, Julie. But, yeah, there there's certainly times that we'll sit there. We will do it together. I know this will sound a little awkward, but, you know, Alex Hayden or Bagley or, you know, we play golden tee golf when we're on the road. That's uh, one of the questions that I have. So you might as well go ahead and go get into it. Well, we'll, you know, I might be standing up there getting ready to take my shot. And next thing I know, I can hear Bagley over my shoulder going, Striegel now on the 10th tee. He's got the driver in his hand. Oh, he he's hit that. That's going to fade right, and it's in the woods. You know, I mean, so, yeah, it's something we do a lot. So you brought up Bagley, and somebody wrote to me late last night. They um, they said, make sure you ask him, what is it like to work with Bagley? Mm. <laughs> One of the most genuine individuals I've ever met. Um, an absolute thrill to be around. Um you know, I've said this a lot um, on social. These are my brothers and they are my sisters. Uh, I see them more than I see my own kids. I see them more than there are times when I see them more than I see my wife. Uh, and you know what that's like being on the road. Yep. Mike Bagley is probably one of the kindest, coolest, gentlest individuals that I know. Um, he can make you laugh. He can make you think. Um, he can be the individual that can tell you that he's proud of you. And he can be the individual that can look at you and say, that's not right. And that's why I respect that individual, Mike Bagley, because he's the kind of person that you have no problem having him by your side. Because what he is, what he does, what he says, and what he believes in, um, they're the things we all, you know, should believe in and feel. If that makes sense to you, I don't, I don't really know how to explain. One hundred percent, Jeff. Did you ever have to work a full time job and do radio? Twenty years, I worked for Gordon Food Service. Twenty years, full time so, employee at Gordon's. Leaving there, taking, uh, I never took a vacation, true story, for basically 20 years. All of my vacation time from Gordon Food Service was used to travel with the Motor Racing Network. I would leave on a Thursday, get in my car, have clothes to change into, go, you know, and I'd do it at the airport parking lot, fly out, come back on Monday morning, hopefully with no rain or weather delay have another set of clothes in my car. I would change, go straight to the office and then go home, unpack laundry and do it again that following Thursday. And I did it year after year after year until I finally retired uh, from Gordon food service about five years ago, but toughest time of my life. But, you know, at the same time, I wouldn't have traded it. I loved being a, an employee for GFS, and I loved what I was doing for the Motor Racing Network. What another great life lesson. If you want it bad enough, sometimes you have to work for it. You know, yeah, and you, uh, you had sure. a passion for radio. You had a passion for your job. And I know what it's like to literally change in parking lots across the country just to make it to that next gig. And um, wow. That's crazy. So for those of you that think that this is all these guys do, sometimes they have full-time jobs as well. Have you, yeah. have you ever Go worked ahead. and did like play-by-play for other sports like hockey, basketball, football? Uh, only on a real local level. I'd love to. I'd absolutely love to do more. Um, but I only did it on a local level. And that was when I was starting out with the Motor Racing Network. Uh, you were only traveling, you know, depending on your schedule for that year. And they varied. But when I first started, 
you know, I might only have 12 weekends where I was gone or, or 16 or whatever the case might be. And I was asked if I wanted to do high school football. I said, yeah, man, I'd love to do that. Um, a little local AM radio station here in Grand Rapids. And so I would go from high school football game to high school football game. Absolutely loved it. Um, but I didn't do it very long, maybe two or three years, because at that point, my schedule with uh, MRN was growing. They needed somebody that you know could commit to being a part of their broadcast week in and week out. So I had to let it go. But, you know, I can tell you as an example, Alex Hayden, uh, Mount Olive University, uh, he does Motor Racing Network as much as I do as my co-anchor. And he is doing all of their collegiate sports or just about softball, baseball, volleyball. And um, I know he thoroughly enjoys it. And I, and I would like to do that, except that, you know, right now with the schedule that I carry, there's just no way I could do it. What's it like to hear your voice on TV shows, movies, and even video games? I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. I mean, just when I hear your voice, I'm like, man, this guy's voice is everywhere. What's it like for you though, Jeff? I know you're a very humble guy, but there's got to be some, some pride there too going, you know, this is pretty cool. A lot of pride, a lot of pride. Um, it was hard for me for many years to hear my voice. If the radio, you know, if, uh, if the race was being replayed on the radio, it, my hand would shake trying to go to punch that button to hear it because I am a perfectionist. Do I do a perfect job? No way. No way. Never done a perfect job. And by that, I mean, did I, have I ever called a perfect race? No, never. And I never will because I can always do something a little different, a little better than what I did. And I always struggled with it. And I was fearful that I would be listening to something that would really hurt me, meaning that, you know, this is where I made that big mistake. And you know what? It's not a big mistake. And that was something, John, that I had to learn that, you know, misstepping and calling Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano for an instant before correcting, it was not going to be the end of the world. But for me, for a long time, it was. Yeah. Because I felt like I was following Joe Moore, Alan Bestwick, uh, Barney Hall, Eli Gold, and those guys just, they just don't make mistakes. Well, it took me time to realize that, yeah, we all make mistakes. So it's gotten easier. Um, you also you also realize that what you say, you can't change. You're never going to go back and redo it. Um, so when, you know, when they're coming off four to take the checkered flag and the Daytona 500, you better nail it because that is something that's going to be played for many, many, many years. And you want it to be the very best it can be. Jeff, how do you stay motivated throughout a long season? What do you do? Nothing. I don't need to. I, I love what I do. And I know that sounds weird, but, you know, even at my age of just over 60 now and having been doing this as long as I have, I think that it probably does surprise people. How do you stay motivated? How do you go to the airport that often, fly that much and keep doing this? It's simple. Um, I love it. So I look forward to it. I'm looking forward to L.A., I'm looking forward to Daytona. After that, it's back to Phoenix, then back to L.A. And that is in the first, what, five weeks, I think. Yep. You know, we're going to go West Coast racing four out of the first five weeks or something like that. Um, jet lag sets in. You're tired. You know, you get ornery from time to time. But I always look forward to the next event. I, I just I really, truly do. Jeff, it's just kind of funny. I'm just laughing here because someone just told me yesterday, they're like, you are never happy unless you're working. And I mean, oh. I just love what I do. I love, you know, if it's not working with, you know, NASCAR, it's it's going to give keynote speeches around the yeah. country and inspiring and motivating people. But even at the racetrack, it means so much to me to, to, to be that that small spoke in the wheel. And just being mm -hmm. a part of something so cool that I get to do. I get to do that. It's one of the coolest jobs in the world, especially now. Um, and I know you see it just as much as I do. These kids are starting out so young. 
And um, I, I've, I've watched kids do, you know, play by play in football and they can barely, you know, reach the microphone. I know what it's like for you to have kids come up to you and say, you know, I, I want to do what you do. What is it like for you when you have young adults and children come to you and say that? But then what advice could you give these men and women that want to get into broadcasting? Well, I'll start, you know, with your first one. What's it like? Um, humbling. You know, you used that word a little while ago. You know, when you go to Martinsville and you're walking to the elevator to go up to the broadcast booth and there's three or four people standing there or a dozen, you know, it doesn't matter. could be one. I don't care. Um, and that individual says, first of all, they know who you are. That always shocks me. It always will. I'll never take that for granted. The fact that somebody actually recognized me and wants to speak to me, I will never walk away from somebody who does that? You know, we see that from time to time, people that will have their head up and walk right by individuals that want an autograph or want to talk to somebody. I will never do that because I'm just shocked that somebody would want to spend a minute or two with me. So I'll always do that. It's very humbling. Um, I knew that happened with Eli. I knew it happened with Barney Hall. I never dreamed that it would happen with me. Um, and you see that as well, Johnny. I know you do because I've watched it. Yep. Um, as far as the advice, you know, I tell everybody, talk as much as you can. And by that, I mean, go do, you know, the, the junior varsity girls volleyball game, if you can. Do it on PA. Do high school football, uh, whether it's the freshman team or the varsity team, whether it's a winning team or a losing team, nobody cares. Talk as much as you can. Um, you know, there's, there's something I'm going to share with you, uh, and, and it goes to Dave Moody and Ken Squire. And it's something that has stayed in my brain for the 25 years since he told me when Dave Moody was coming up, he worked for the legendary individual Ken Squire. And of course, you know who I'm talking about, yep. John. And when Dave started doing PA, which I believe was at Thunder Road, Ken Squire came to him and said, you know, son, you're doing a pretty good job. I heard you say that they were single file down the back straightaway. So your homework for tonight is I want you to go home and I want you to come back tomorrow with 25 different ways to say they're single file. Because if you say they're single file, lap after lap after lap, most people are going to tune out because obviously that means there's really no racing. They're just following one another. So I want you to go home and come back with 25 different ways to say they're single file. And then I want you to go home and come back with 25 different ways of saying they're side by side. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting, unique. Never would have thought about that. But we can all get into a crutch of going, you know, Daytona, when they log laps, when they're running single file, just trying to put a few laps down, if we just say every single lap, Mike to Dave to Kyle Ricky, back to Alex and I that, you know, it's lap 44 and they continue to run single file back to turn one. Dave, yep, they're single file. Mike, yep, they're single file. People would tune out. Why would you listen to something like that? Right. So it really creates and challenges you as an individual to say, all right, we got to change something up here because they're not changing on the racetrack. But we need to do is figure out a way to say it differently than the way that we said it last lap. And that's, you know, that's the type of, um, I guess, uh, knowledge that I would want to share with a, a young individual, uh, whether they're calling football, baseball, auto racing, it doesn't matter. You've got to have a way to say something different than you just said it a moment ago. What's one of the coolest things a fan has given you? I know that, you know, when I'm at the track, I have fans always bringing me something every single weekend. And there are things that are still in, in, in my backpack that I carry. You know what I mean? If it's, if it's a stone that was, you know, blessed by the Pope or, you know, yeah. a, a, a coin from a soldier or what's one of the things that sticks out to you that a fan has given you? A painted, hand-painted picture of me in turn four at Daytona. Never knew, never knew it was coming. Did not know the individual, 
the person tracked me down and I would say this has been a while, but it, it sticks out because the reason it sticks out, we can all go to the store and buy something for somebody. But this individual was sitting in the infield at Daytona, liked motor racing network. I don't know that they loved me, but because of the proximity from where I was to where they are, I'm just going to say it as humbly as I can. Um, they painted a picture of me in the Sunoco tower and then gave it to me. And I thought, Holy cow, um, hand painted. It was just something that, you know, I'll always remember. Um, most, you know, I mean, as you know, most of the time it's somebody that wants to talk or, you know, get an autograph or like you said, they want to talk and say, Hey, I want to, I want to be with the motor racing network. How do I do it? What was your story? But that is something that I, that I won't forget. And I still have today. Do you have a favorite on-air moment? Um, if I do, it, it's for a, a different reason than what you might think. Uh, Dale Sr. lost his life in turn four at Daytona. And Eli Gold was the person in turn four on that day. I was not with the cup side of things. I wasn't traveling with what we referred to back then as the A-team. You know, that was Joe and Barney and Alan and Eli. And the following year, uh, I was given the opportunity to move up and be a turn announcer with the A-team. And I was invited to go to Daytona, a place that I have been dreaming about all of my life. And it was that, that moment that I stood there the year before Dale Sr. lost his life at the same turn now that I'm going to be calling for the first time ever at the Daytona 500 with the A-team. And that was a time when I stood there and the place is sold out at, you know, 200,000 plus back then before they took the back grandstands out. They're doing the national anthem. The jets fly over the track and I've got tears running down my cheeks, just going, I cannot believe that I'm here, you know? Never in my wildest imagination would I have believed that I would be standing at Daytona ready to call the 500 for the motor racing network, like you said earlier, around the world. And I, I could not talk. And I knew right then that take in this moment, but you're going to have to let it go here very quickly because Barney Hall is getting ready to do the scene sets where we take you around the track and bring in the other voices that will help call the action for the Motor Racing Network. We're going to start and turn one with Dave Moody down the back straight away to Mike Bagley, and I am up next, and I've got to be able to talk. And I was choked up, um, and I just I literally, that is a moment, John, that I will never forget, and I don't ever want to forget it. Um, I'd been broadcasting with MRN for 10-plus years, maybe not quite that much, but you know, many years before that, but now here I am at that moment, the Daytona 500, that many people listening, that many people at the racetrack and working with, with the individuals that I idolized for so many years. If you could build a track in any city, any state, where, why, and what kind of track? Well, I don't know. That's an interesting question. There's so many great tracks now that I just like to see us go back to. Right. I boy, I don't know. You know what? I <laughs> I'm I'm going to make this a little funner than what you were probably hoping for. Um, <laughs> it would probably be on the island of Nassau uh, because I love being down there, uh, and so that would just be like the best of all worlds. You know, we stay at the Atlantis, we go across <laughs> the bridge from Paradise <laughs> Island over to Nassau. I love there it. Is, I mean, because I just, I love that culture. I love the people down there. And can you imagine racing down there? I can't. So, uh, you know, when I say there's so many great venues, I just like to return like to Montreal. Right. You know, where, where we raced before. I loved Montreal. I loved racing in Mexico City. I'm, I'm, I'm not um, in the majority on that. Not everybody enjoyed going to, to uh, Mexico City. I loved it. Loved being down there. Um, that's an interesting question. I, I, I guess I don't really know for sure. I would have to say I would try to 
take in where I love to be, which is down in the Bahamas somewhere. And let's put a track up there and go racing every single weekend. I love it. I can't wait for this year. I can't wait for the all-star race. That's for sure. I've never been there. I know. Have you been there? No. No. And I've been doing this for 25 years as well. So what And everybody that I work with has, but most everybody that I work with is out of the North Carolina area. Right. Not all of them, but you know, they've all been there before. Um, I have not. I've never been there. I don't know where it is. I've been told, you know, that it sits out in the middle of nowhere. I will tell you that I'm excited to be there. And the reason is, you know, you're a student of the sport. I'm a student of the sport. Um, I'll never pretend like I know everything because I flat out do not. I'll be the first one to admit that. But when you go to North Wilkesboro, there is going to be a sense of history there, even if they've taken, and they're not, but even if they've taken it, leveled it, and built all brand new, you still know that this is where the sport originated, and you're going to see history. Um, I know that when I get there, I'm going to see history before we talk about what's going to happen today and tomorrow and the next day. So I, I'm looking forward to it for that reason. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Being one of those guys that that's one of the tracks I've always wanted to go to. So, Jeff, with just a couple minutes left, I'm going to rifle through some of these. Uh, these sure. are social media questions. Hey, when it comes to your you know personal life, when you want to get away from everything, what do you like to do? Go to the beach. We're 20 minutes away from the west coast of Lake Michigan here. Uh, Grand Haven, Holland, South Haven. When I want to get away, I grab my wife, Julie, and we go to the beach. Favorite driver to interview? Um, Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch is an individual where if you ask him a question, you better be ready to accept the answer. He has always been a straight shooter. As you know, you've interviewed him a million times. Yep. Kurt Busch is um, probably the guy that I enjoy interviewing because you can ask him anything and he will give you an honest answer. I know I shouldn't be asking you this, but I have to. What's one that you look and say, oh, man, do I really have to interview this guy right now? Because. He's the same way uh, or she's yeah. the same oh, way. <laughs> so, so it goes back. Yeah. Danica. I mean, when you said she, Danica comes to mind. Um, she was always a, a tough interview. The one that was the hardest for me was I know, Mark Jeff. Martin. Uh, you know, was, <laughs> I said, it, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've been there. You've done it. Um, Mark Martin was always tough for me because Mark and Tony Stewart, because you better know what you're talking about when you interview. I remember uh, interviewing Mark Martin. Now, he's changed dramatically, obviously, over the years. But back when I was working pit road, you know, I, I made the comment of asking him, um, you know, you qualified well. How's the car as you get ready to go racing here this afternoon? He goes, how would I know? We haven't turned a lap yet. <laughs> and that was his answer. And I remember it like going... Well, that's a good answer to a dumb question. <laughs> and, it sounds like Ryan Newman. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he was tough too. I think a lot of it, when you uh, when you walk up, let's face it, Winston Kelly could have asked the same question at that time, and Mark would have given him a great answer because Mark Martin knew and respected Winston Kelly Mark Martin at that time didn't know who I was, didn't care who I was. And I asked a dumb question. Um, but there, there were certainly those that, you know, you needed to think about what you were going to ask before you asked that individual the question. And he taught me a lot in, in that moment, caught me off guard. I wasn't ready with my follow-up question yet. And I kind of stood there probably like a deer in the headlights going, (laughs) all right, now what do I say? (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's some tough ones out there, but you know, after you uh, gain a little respect and they know who you are, those, those questions become a little easier. You talk so much during the week. When you get home, are you a guy that likes to still talk on the phone or do you only text? Uh, I text and, and my wife would tell you, she would say, he never says a thing. I don't talk. I don't like to talk. Uh, believe it or not, you know, even though I do it for a living, I, you know, when it's, when the light goes on and you've got to call the race, you do it. After that, I personally, believe it or not, would just as soon be quiet and not have to say anything if I don't have to. 
Jeff, I mean, you spend every, almost every single weekend or at least half of the year at the racetrack. You don't spend enough time at the racetrack. So now you became the general manager at Berlin Raceway. I mean, dude, I mean, you don't have enough work to do? Uh, that's a great question. And, and I will tell you that Berlin Raceway located in West Michigan, that is the place my dad brought me to when I was 10 years old and sat in the grandstands and watched John Benson's senior race, not Johnny Benson, but John Benson, his dad and Bob Seneker and Mike Eddy names that maybe are familiar with uh, some of those that are been around as long as you and I have. I've raced here, been a fan here, did PA and radio here, and I had no vision of ever working here. I'd been asked a couple of times, and I always declined. And after I retired from GFS, they caught me at the right time. I'm sitting at home off-season, November, late November, early December, and they called again, and I was bored. <laughs> and I said, th- you know, and I said, yeah, okay, let's do this. And and I do it for one reason and one reason only, John, and that is because I have a passion for this racetrack. There's a lot of things that I wanted to see happen here. I think we've checked a few of those boxes. The team here at Berlin is good. We've got ideas to grow short track racing in Michigan and certainly on this side of the state. We've got SRX coming in uh, later this year. That's going to be new and exciting for everybody around here. So, yeah, it's hard. There's no doubt because they race here on Saturday night. So I work all week long, get on an airplane on Thursday or Friday and leave and then have to come back on Monday and Tuesday and find out how the events went. That part is hard, John, but the part that I absolutely love is watching this facility grow over the course of the last three years. And I think we've done some really, really good things. 100%. And I love following what you guys do out there. One of the coolest things that I love about what you've done is that huge bar you built. (laughs) I just got (laughs) to say. (laughs) You know, and and I'm glad to see that a lot of tracks, uh, both locally and nationally, have told me that they're trying to duplicate the same thing. We have a section right towards turn four uh that was just open concrete area and i thought you know what we get done racing here we watch everybody stream out of the gates and they go to their local bar or restaurant to get a drink get some food and go why are we letting a captive audience leave why can't we create something here that would make them want to stay so we've got a big fire pit in this particular area a big outdoor bar There's a band stage. We put a band on every Saturday night. So when the checkered flag comes out, we turn the fire pit on, the band cranks up, and we've got a big, big group of people that stay and hang out until we throw them out. Um, We have fun with it. Obviously, it's a great revenue uh, stream for the racetrack, and it's something that a lot of people talk about, and I'm seeing more and more of those now popping up at different racetracks because of what they saw here. Jeff, I can't let you leave without telling a joke. And, and and this is what I mean. For those of you that listen to MRN broadcast, when they are not live, they are jokesters. They are constantly back and forth telling jokes. So I'm going to let you end the show with a joke. John, John, you can't put me on a stage like this. <laughs> <laughs> they have to come from the cuff, but you know, I guess if, if I, if I had to leave you with anything over the, over the course of the off season, my wife and I bought a dog, uh, really cool. We got a pug and, um, it was a couple of days ago. She called me and she said, Jeff, have you seen the dog bowl? And I said, honey, I didn't know it could dog bowl. bowl. All right, there you go. Again, it's, you got, it's gotta be the right moment. And then they are funny people. Uh, we, we started doing that and I'll tell you what the fans love it. They, there's a good way to find out who's listening because they won't say, man, that was a great call coming to the checkered flag. They will say, who is the one that brought up the dog bowl joke or the two fish in the tank? Or, you know, why does a chicken coop only have two doors? 
Well, if it had four doors, it'd be a chicken sedan. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure people are just rolling on the floor laughing right now. But again, it's the moment that the joke is delivered that makes it, quote unquote, funny. Jeff Striegel, I cannot thank you enough for hanging out with us here on the Outstanding Life podcast. The voice yeah. of NASCAR, Jeff Striegel, thank you so much, man. I can't thank you enough. Absolutely, Johnny. And, and I will see you on our next plane, more than likely headed west to L.A. Uh, always a pleasure to join you. Always a pleasure to see you at the racetrack. And I will do that here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Jeff. And I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling you be safe, have fun, have yourself an outstanding day. And we'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And don't forget to check out my Outstanding Life podcast every Sunday here on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM and KBFS 1450 AM. Have an outstanding day.